last week, uh, we got started with something, uh, a message called What Church Looks Like to God. And we're going to go ahead and take another round of that today. Uh, our main verse that we were looking at last week was out of 1 Peter in chapter 2, verse 9, where, where it says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And we looked at the word that is used in the Greek language for the church, which is ecclesia, which refers not to a building, but the people they gather in the building. It's talking about the people of God. The word called, as used in that verse, is the Greek word kaleo. The word out is the Greek word ek. And when you put ek and kaleo together, those are the two root words from which comes ekklesia, which is a reference to the called out ones, literally a reference to a gathering of citizens that are called out from their homes to gather in a public place. Well, this morning you've been called out from your homes to gather in this place. But this is more than a gathering. This is more than a meeting. You've been called out of life. Uh, I mean, called out of death and into life, called out of darkness and into light. You, you've been called out of sin and called into righteousness. You are a called out one. You are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and as we started last week to check out what, what it looks like to God, what church really looks like to God, we saw this, that, that church comes from every nation and tribe. Uh, the, the church is, com- is comprised of men and women coming from diverse economic backgrounds. We, we saw that the church is multi-generational. We saw that the church is his. It belongs to him. He's the head of it. We get our orders from headquarters. Hey, as a matter of fact, a verse I just thought of this morning that so beautifully describes that is where it says, The Lord knows them that are His. Amen. We also saw this, that the church is not a stagnant organization, but it's a growing organism. And we also saw that God intends the church to be supernatural and influential outside of the walls. Amen. Hallelujah. And so today, we're going to go ahead and go a little bit deeper in a little different direction today. And what I want to do is that as we examine what church looks like to God, I want to look at four of the, shall we say, four of the symbolic ways that the church is looked at in Scripture. And, and the scripture uh, talks about the, the church and the people of God in many different ways. Uh, as a matter of fact, it, it calls us the flock, the sheep. Someone say, bah. <laughs> but but, but the, the four we're going to look at today, we're going to look at the building, the brethren, the body, and the bride. The four B's, the building, the brethren, the body, and the bride. Are you ready to dig into the word? First of all, 1 Peter 2, we're already there anyway, uh, but, but now we're going to go ahead and look at verse 4 through 6 and, and start talking about this building. And, and we, we talked about this a little bit as, as uh, last week as us being living stones, the, the stones that make up the building. But now we're going to go ahead and, and look a little bit further at what God's ultimate goal in putting the building all together is all about. 
First Peter 2, 4 through 6 says this, Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Hallelujah. All right, am I talking to some living stones today that are part of this spiritual house, part of this building that God is building? And so we realize this, that the building starts with the chief cornerstone, that being the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And this building continues with the living stones all being put in their place. And as with any picture of the church, it absolutely depends upon Jesus for it to be more than just another group or club. You know, if not for Jesus, then this is just a group or a club that gathers together on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights and a few other times. The thing that makes the difference and makes us more than just a group or a club, but makes us a mighty, moving, unstoppable force is the fact that we are, are built on, 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 around the chief cornerstone, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that he's the foundation for what's going on in, in, in his church. You know, Jesus is the, the one who builds the church. We read last week out of Matthew when uh, Jesus, uh, uh, in Matthew 16, 16, verse 18, where Jesus said to Peter that, that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell uh, will, will not prevail against it. And so we, we see that Jesus is both the chief cornerstone and he's the builder. He's the chief cornerstone and the builder of his building. And the confession of Jesus as Son of God is what he was talking about over there in Matthew when he addressed Peter. Because Peter had just answered that question that Jesus posed when he said, Who do men say that I am? And, and, and Peter spoke, inspired by the Father in heaven, and, and said, uh, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And at that moment there, Jesus referred to that confession as the, the rock upon which the church is built. Because you don't get in the church without coming that way. You don't get to be part of the church without making that confession that you and you alone are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then besides that, we also see in the verse we just read that it's believing in the chief cornerstone. You see, it's just another way of saying the same thing. <laughs> it's another way of, of, of connecting these two together. We believe in the chief cornerstone. We, we, we put our faith in him, and that's the way we get to be one of the living stones that's part of his building. Hallelujah. And, you know, I, I love the, the, the part of uh, that First Peter uh, 2, verse 6 that we read a few minutes ago, where it says that, that he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Aren't you glad about it? That, that this is a, a faith that is not going to burn you and backfire on you. There's never going to be a time where you say, oh, well, I wish I didn't do that. 
No, this is something you can have confidence in. That even though there's bumps along the way, and even though there's, there's times where it looks like it's not working out the way I thought, but you hang in there long enough, and you realize there's not one single regret, not one single uh, 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 sense of wasting your time, or why did I do that? You say, boy, I'm so glad I did put my faith in the chief cornerstone, because I was not put to shame. It was worth every minute of my time. It was worth the investment of my heart and soul. Hallelujah. And uh, you know what a blessing that uh, Jesus said, the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. Hell can't stop the church. As a matter of fact, you know, uh, uh, when the church first started, the, the, the enemy, his goal was to put the church out on the fringe, make, make it look like they, they were like crazy and radical. So, so that there was a time of intense persecution. And then, of course, as time went on, he saw he wasn't able to stop him that way. He thought, well, let's go ahead and try to make the church look mainstream. Hey, and we can get the church look mainstream. They'll go ahead and try to look like everybody else and fit in with everybody else and appear to be just one of the bunch and lose their power and effectiveness. But I gotta tell you, the, the, the church is, is woken up and, and there's an attempt by the enemy once again for, for, for those who, who are, who are genuinely part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to go ahead and try to push them out on the fringe again. Try to make the, make them the object of ridicule and persecution again. And of course there's been an element of that that's always been taking place around the globe. But I gotta tell you, there, there, there's an attempt of, of that right here in our own homeland. Where you looked at as crazy if, if you actually think that God created this and that it didn't just happen. And then that you're, you're looked as, as the crazy one if, uh, if, if you're not, you know, hip with the times and, and you're not all right with this kind of behavior and that kind of behavior and this kind of union and that kind of union. But I gotta tell you this, it's more important now more than ever before for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to stand to, to, to stand your ground and to say, you, you know what, a, a enemy, what, whatever you do and however you try to, to pose us to the world or make us look like to the world, it matters not. We're just going to go ahead and stand on him who saved us, stand on the truth that got us into this thing and has kept us all this time, and we're not caving in and giving in for anybody or anything. <laughs> Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians 3, let's take a look at this. Talking about the church as God's building. Look at verse 9 here. This is uh, going to be enlightening to you. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on his, this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. 
If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Now understand this, that although Jesus is the builder of his church, other men, including us, can be fellow workers or co-workers with him in the building process. God uses people. God has given the church ministry gifts. He gave gifts unto men, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. There's no other foundation that can be laid for this building except for Christ. However, what is built on that foundation can either be substance that will burn up or substance that will stand the test of fire. Same foundation, different building materials. Some had gold, silver, and precious stones. Some had wood, hay, and straw. So let each one take heed, the scripture says, how he builds on that foundation. Oh, that's big. You see, you got building supplies to work with. Teaching. What kind of teaching you listen to? Because here's the thing. The, the Bible actually talks about those that heaped up to themselves teachers having itching ears. So, so what, what they did, they, they, they kind of gathered themselves around the teachers that were telling them the stuff that they liked and wanted to hear. But if you're a wise believer, you're going to go ahead and gather yourself around teachers of the word that will inspire you and make you want to shout and dance and run around the church. And those that will also feed you your Brussels sprouts and tell you how it's going to be. Glory to God. So, because here's, here's the thing. You're not going to grow if you just eat ice cream all the time. Come on now. You're not going to have the nourishment you need if that's the case. You know, uh, uh, words, how important words are. Jesus said, by your words, you'll be justified. By your words, you'll be condemned. Uh, as far as building materials, think about how that can go two ways. That, that you can go ahead and, and, and speak words that will that, that, be such a big part of the successful building of that building. Or you can speak words that will tear down instead of build up. Think about judgment, the, the, the fact that, that you can go ahead and, and, and judge yourself, as the Scripture says, so that you would not be judged. Rather than being the one who's judging other people, you could be the one that judges yourself. And say, I'm going to keep myself right, keep myself straight on the straight and narrow. Think about this, that the Bible says that, that mercy triumphs over judgment. That, that, that on the day when we stand before God, that there's not going to be any mercy given to the one that has shown no mercy. But that mercy would triumph over judgment, which means that if you were here in this life sowing mercy into the lives of others, when you stand before him, you're having mercy sowed into your life. And on that day... Hey, I think it's real clear. We all need mercy. We ain't getting in any other way except by the mercy of God. Sow some mercy so you can reap some mercy. Jesus also talked about the, the motives of the heart as far as building materials are concerned. Think about this. Jesus said, you know, if you go ahead and do things just to be seen by man, that's all the reward you're going to get. 
But, but if you go ahead and do things because you really want God to see it and you really want to please God, what happens there? Your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Hallelujah. So those are some of the building materials that we got to work with. So may what is built upon the foundation of Jesus in our lives be pleasing in the sight of him who is our foundation. May, may the building materials be consistent with the foundation. Jesus is the foundation. There's, there's, there's not even a chance of building anything without having him underneath it. But, but may the, the, the building materials that we use be those that are consistent with him, in alignment with him. Because then when we stand before him, rather than your house getting burned up and having nothing left but the foundation, you can have a foundation and you can have years of uh, the, the investment of, of good fruit that will stand the test of fire and a reward that will last you into eternity. Glory to God. Amen. Ephesians 2, take a look at this, as we're examining this idea of the church being his building. Verse 19 says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So you see several things here. First of all, it's not a one-man show. Hey, you are fellow citizens of something here. You are members of something that is bigger than you. We see this here that we're being fitted together with other living stones. So can, can we just go ahead and fit together and get along here? Hey, because God's goal is not to go ahead and uh, I'm going to fit you over there and fit you over there and fit you over there so you don't have to deal with each other. No, no, God's going to go ahead and fit us together because his, his very intention is for you to have to deal with each other and love each other. Hallelujah. So, so we see this, we're being fitted together with other living stones. And after the fitting together takes place, you know what can take place? Growth can take place. That's what the scripture says here. That, that, that being fitted together, we can grow into a holy temple in the Lord. But, but we must allow that fitting together process to take place to get to the place where growth can happen. And it's interesting. It says that we're being built together. Which, as I alluded to a minute ago, we're not being built separately. We're being built together. That, that means in the process of being built together, sometimes you might bump each other. Hey. <laughs> sometimes you, you, you may have to deal with somebody and somebody may have to deal with you. Oh, Jesus, hallelujah. But I tell you, is it worth it? To go ahead and learn how to love your brother and love your sister for the sake of being fitted together so you can grow together, so you can be the building God intended the church to be. Amen. How about this? As the church is looked at as a building, the church is also looked at as the brethren. And specifically, his brethren. Ooh. 
You know, when Jesus prayed the Lord prayer, the Lord's prayer, he started out by saying, Our Father. Oh, you are our Father. Which means that his intention was to be able to say that, that as I'm praying this, and these people here that I'm teaching to pray this, we have the same daddy. Hallelujah. We share the same father. You know, check this out. Hebrews 2, verse 10 through 12 says this. And we'll also read verse 17 along with it because it's all part of the same package here, all in the same context. Um, Verse 10, for it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. And by the way, that includes the sistren too. Come on, girls. Hey. Verse 12, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. Verse 17 now, same chapter. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Think about how you are viewed by God, how you are viewed by Jesus, the head of the church. You are his brothers. You are his sisters. When Paul prayed, he said, I'm bound my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So he had a sense of that commonality. He, he had the sense that, that, that we're, we're the same family sharing the same father. Amen. Not everybody shares the same father. Jesus addressed them, guys, and told them, you are of your father, the devil. Right. <laughs> Not everybody's got God as their father. But those who want to can, praise God. That's the good news. Romans 8. Let's take this out a little bit further. Romans 8, verse 14 says this, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now listen to this. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Can can we just get into some word here today, all right? So this says that if you're a child, you're an heir. And if you're an heir, you're a joint heir with Christ. Co-heir. That, that, that means y'all getting in on the same inheritance. Yeah. Hallelujah. Galatians 4 verse 7 says this. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And what a beautiful thing that the word, when speaking of us, speaks of us in both terms uh, of, of being a, a, a born and being adopted. Did you ever notice that? that? That the Bible speaks of the adoption of sons regarding us, but it also speaks of us as being born again, born of God. 
What an amazing love that is. It's like God were to say, I'm so excited about you being mine that even if you weren't mine, I'd make you mine. That's some serious love, somebody. Come on, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. That's a sense of what God the Father thinks about you, that he's so wild about you that if you weren't in the family, hey, he said, I'd do whatever I need to do to get you in the family. But this has to be received. God's heart is the same towards everybody. God, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But this is not automatic. Just because God wants to doesn't make it happen. Those who receive the gift of eternal life, those who receive Jesus as the Son of the living God, as the Christ, as the Savior, those are the ones who get the benefit of having God as their Father and Jesus as their big brother. Think about the, the, the love that the Father has for you. Not in a way where, yeah, well, there's Jesus and then there's me. You know, as though I'm, you know, yeah, I'm son, I'm daughter, I'm in the family, but I'm, I'm kind of second class child, you know. I, 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 my, my status is like way down here. A lot of times we look at ourselves that way. But the Father doesn't look at you that way. Because Jesus, the Son of God, spoke these very words in John 17, 23, as he was praying. He said, he prayed this, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Look at that last line, and have loved them as you have loved me. Jesus did not make a distinction between the way the Father loved him and the way the Father loves the rest of his children. Jesus actually equated it to being the same. That in the very same way that the Father loves his son Jesus is the very same way the Father loves his other sons and daughters. Can somebody say, wow? So as his brethren, we share the same Father. We're loved in the same way, and we're heirs to what Jesus is an heir to. And if you're wondering what Jesus is an heir to, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2 says Jesus was appointed heir of all things. So that means if if Jesus gets it, you get it. You don't want to pastor John's favorite verses, Romans chapter 8, I believe it's verse 32. That, that says that if God did not spare his own son, how will he not with him also freely give us all things? You're an heir of the same thing that Jesus is an heir to because you're a joint heir together with him. Hallelujah. And you know, the, the, uh, we may skip over some of this for the sake of time, but the Bible also refers to Jesus as the firstborn. Hebrews 1 refers to Jesus as the firstborn. Revelation 1, which we'll skip over, is another verse that talks about Jesus as being the firstborn. His church is called the church of the firstborn. Hebrews 12 shows us that. But one thing I want you to take a look at is Romans 8.29. Romans 8.29 says this. For whom he foreknew, 
he also predestined to be conformed to the image of a son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Look at somebody next to you and say, I'm part of the many. Hallelujah. So I want you to know today that the way he views you, what, what, what the church looks like to God, what you look like to God, he sees his building, but he also sees his brethren. Now let's take this a little bit further. What else does he see? He sees his body. So beautiful. What a beautiful picture this is. Ephesians 1, 22 through 23 says, And he put all things under his feet, that's being under Jesus' feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So the church is his body. Which means that if it's under Jesus' feet, it's under your feet too. Hallelujah. As someone once said, if you want to send the devil a message, write it on the bottom of your shoe. Hey. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I love that. So let's check this out. The church which is his body. Let's dig into this a little bit further. Romans 12. Uh, check out verse 4. It says, For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. That's, it. That's important right there. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Let us sit on them? No. Let us wait for somebody else to go first? No. Let, let us put it off to another day when I feel a little more spiritual? No. Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. And then it goes on to, to use other illustrations of how you can use the gift God gave you. But, but what we see here is that all members of the body don't have the same function. And that is on purpose. Where we don't have cookie cutters. See, Jesus is spoken of in John chapter 3 as having the spirit without measure. Which means Jesus had it all. I mean, he got to be the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher. He was the servant. He, 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 was, he was everything. He had the spirit without measure. Now, now I, I believe this, that the body of Christ today has the, the, the spirit without measure, but it's not all wrapped up in one person like it was with Jesus when Jesus was on the earth. We, we, we see that the, the, the gifts are different, where, where, where there's a grace given to one that's not given to another, and there's a grace given to the other that's not given to the one. And so our gifts differ from each other, and that's all right, because a different grace equals a different gift. Or you might say a different calling equals different equipment to fulfill, to fulfill the calling. And, and you're told to take what God gave you and use it. Can't say get off your blue chair anymore. But your tennis gray chair, you can get off of that now. Hi, hallelujah. Use the gifts that God gave you. Amen. Amen. 1 Corinthians 12 
And talk about breaking down the body of Christ into a beautiful picture. It's done real well here in 1 Corinthians 12. Listen to the words of Paul, starting with chapter 12, verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many or one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact the body is not one member but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And he's going to take a little further. We're going to keep going with this. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to the part which lacks it. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Now i got to tell you, you know why we read a big chunk of scripture like that? Because Paul already said it so good, you can't improve on it. Come on now. That's just good stuff, isn't it? A beautiful description of the body of Christ. See, the body consists of many members of parts. And God has put the parts in the body just as it pleased him. So my word of advice to all of you today is don't place yourself in the body. Don't try to be the placer or, or, or the one that determines where you go. Let him do that. He's the head of the church. Because you see, oftentimes when people try to place themselves, they're trying to make room for their gift. But the book of Proverbs does not say that you should make room for your gift. The book of Proverbs says your gift will make room for you. Hallelujah. Come on. Hey. You don't have to force your gift on somebody. As a matter of fact, you got a gift. Other people with the Spirit of God inside of them are going to recognize that gift. And if they're not recognizing it, you better go ahead and wonder about that. And I'm serious. I'm very serious about that. If other people with the Holy Spirit aren't picking up the same signal on their station, you may not be on the right channel. Because the Bible says that in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. So if you think you got something and it's really from the Lord, then other people that are tuned into the Lord will recognize that thing about you. Hallelujah. That's good advice for somebody today. We see this in this beautiful passage we just read. That God has honored all the body. Not just what's, who, who's visible and noticeable. God's honored the whole body. 
and everyone is important. And there's not an unimportant part of the body of Christ. There's not an uh, unimportant part of the body of Christ in the universal sense, and there's not an unimportant part of the body of Christ in the local church either. Everybody has something to bring to the table, something to give, something to offer. That's why God said, and we read it, you got a gift, use your gift. If your gift's to smile, smile big. If your gift's just to, to, to make somebody feel warm and welcome when they come in the door, do that. Use what God gave you. Because i got to tell you, there is no unimportant part of the Lord's body. And his goal is for the body to be without schisms. Well, well, well. What's a schism? It's a, a, a tear or a dissension or a, a division. So no schisms. All right? So that means on March 31st, when you come in here and you find somebody in your seat and you say, oh, no, they didn't. No schisms. Come on now. We got to obey the word. See, God's goal is for every part to have the same care for one another. Think about that, having the same care for one another. The, the, that, that means that, 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 that there's not a, a playing favorite. We're, we're going to go ahead and show care for, for, for them because what, what they, 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 they might be cuter than some other people are and they, they, they might be nicer and easier to get along with than, than some other people. And, and, and they, 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 might, they, they might have a little more uh, you know, in their pocket than some other people do. So we're going to go ahead and show a, a lot of extra care for them. But those people over there, they're, they're rough around the edges. So we're not going to go ahead and show the same care there. God all over the word condemns what's called respective persons and showing favoritism. You know what? We're pastors to everybody in the church. Our job in supporting Pastor John as a staff is to go ahead and love everybody. That, that, that means we, we get to hang with people that, that, that are, uh, uh, you know, all kinds of fun to hang with. And we, we get to hang with people that, 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 are, that are still coming along. And it's all right. We're called to everybody. I can't throw any rocks. I'm still coming along. I'm still getting my rough edges smoothed off. We're all in different places of growth and coming along. But we don't show favoritism or, or, or anything like that. No, we're going to go ahead and show the same care to every member of the body. And God's goal is for the parts of his body... To have such a sense of oneness with each other that we respond when something happens to another as though it happened to us. We respond when something happens to another as though it happened to us. Look at Hebrews 13 verse 3. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them. Those who are mistreated since you yourselves are in the body also. 
Hey, I think that was the perfect place to put that verse in there. That just nails it, doesn't it? Remember the prisoners as though you're chained with them and those who are mistreated because you're in the body also. We're in this thing together. And you know what's risen up in me more than ever in the last, I'd say, five to ten years, more than at any other point in my walk with God, is such an awareness, is such a love, and, 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 and paying attention to the, the persecuted church in the world this very day. There's just such a, a stirring and such an awareness that, hey, it's happening to them, it's happening to me. People getting crucified for their faith in the Lord Jesus right here in this time. And killed in various other ways. Persecuted, marginalized, whatever the case is. Have an awareness. We're in this body together. If one's mistreated, that affects me. That's the same heart Jesus has. That's why when Saul was persecuting the church, Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Amen. Ephesians 4, let's check it out. Ephesians 4. Can't talk about the body of Christ without going to Ephesians 4. And the scripture says in verse 11, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. These are the gifts that God gave to the church. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. There's a whole lot of words there, but let's break it down. First of all, what's this thing called edifying? Edifying is the act of building up. It, it is actually even used in several places in the New Testament for the word buildings. And, and you can see the connection in the English word edifice. See that? It's, it's the idea of uh, the, the act of edifying is the act of building, the act of building something up. It, it's also described as the act of one who promotes another's growth. That's a big one. Take that home with you. And this is done not only by the fivefold ministry, but this is done by the body of Christ actually edifying itself in love and being a growth promoter. Not just being interested in my growth and my advancement, but doing things for the sake of the growth and advancement of my other fellow members of the body. Edifying or building up is intended to bring us to a place of unity of faith, the knowledge of Jesus, and spiritual maturity. 
In other words, this is the way to be a grown-up. And it uses the term that we must grow up in all things into him. Grow up in all things into him. Which means this, that it is not the will of God for Christ our head to have a six-year-old body. You know, an adult head and a six-year-old body don't quite connect. You know what I'm saying? There's something don't jive there. You, you got a, a, a full-grown, mature head. You, you, you picture a full-grown, mature head with a full-grown, mature body. And the call on us is to grow up into him. To the point where the maturity level of the body is the same level as the maturity of the head. Say, no way, that means I'd have to be like Jesus. Well, yeah, that's exactly the point. (laughs) And it's not something that's way out there and hard to grasp. No, 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 no. As a matter of fact, the equipment you need to go ahead and be who you've been called to be and be a, a son and daughter of the Father and be one of Jesus' brethren, it's already right there in you. And all we got to do is start walking in it. The equipment is there. The, the, the provision is there. We can be like Jesus. Amen. And growth results. This kind of growth, what, what, what does it result in? It results in uh, every joint in the body delivering its supply. And that's so important. Every joint needs to deliver its supply. That's not you getting your supply of joints. No, 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 no. Don't get me started. No, 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 no. This is talking about you as a joint in the body of Christ, bringing your supply, bringing your gift to the table, bringing what God has called you to do to the table. It's also described in Ephesians 4 where we just read in this phrase, every part does its share. Every part does its share. And my prayer for anybody in this house who has not yet done your share, that you are stirred up and fired up and made to be uncomfortable by the Holy Ghost so that you can step up and do your share. Hallelujah. I'll just share this with you real quick. We'll skip over a few verses. I'll catch up to where we're going, sound booth. But uh, uh, know this, that when... We are clicking on all cylinders and in the place of unity that we need to be in. That allows the power of God and the anointing to flow in ways that you just haven't even seen yet. And that is out there and available to us. We're going to skip down to Romans 7. uh, And we're going to check this out. We talked about the, the building and the brethren and the body. Now we're going to look at the church as the bride as we get ready to wrap up today. Romans chapter 7. Glory to God. And you know what? Different people are on different theological levels. Some say, oh yeah, the church is the bride of Christ. Some say, no, the church is not the bride of Christ. But I got to tell you, there's enough in the Word to at least recognize this. That God is using this as an illustration, as a symbol for us to see something. So let's go ahead and dig into this. Romans 7, uh, 2 through 4. It says, For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. 
But if the husband dies, she's released from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she'll be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law so that she's no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2. 2 Corinthians 11, 2. Paul says, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Amen. Think about this, that, that, that Paul was jealous over them with, with, with a, a godly jealousy. And, and, and the reason why is that he wanted to go ahead and present them as a, a, a beautiful bride, a, a chaste virgin, un, un, untouched before Christ. And you know, uh, uh, the, the, this, the, this beautiful, beautiful uh, chaste virgin that he wanted to present to Christ was being chased. C-H-A-S-E-D. Because temptations were, were chasing this chaste one. <laughs> uh, distractions were chasing the chaste one. That's a good message for somebody. How to stay chaste while you're being chased. Hey! But, but, but it's so important. Stay on track. Don't allow yourself to be distracted. Keep yourself for Jesus. The Bible warns over and over again about what's called uh, uh, spiritual uh, adultery. In some cases, spiritual harlotry. James warns, don't be adulterers and, and, and adulteresses. He said, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? So the, the idea of being his bride comes with the responsibility that we know we're keeping ourselves for him. We're, we're not allowing ourselves to get sidetracked by things that are chasing us and trying to get our attention here and trying to get us off track. No, we're keeping ourselves for him. We're, we're keeping ourselves on track, keeping ourselves pure. And the good thing is this, is that in that process, you're not doing that by yourself. Because when you trust in him, he's a keeper. Now unto him that is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Amen. And that presentation is where God wants to take the church. That presentation is what this is all leading up to. Hallelujah. You know, let's go ahead and skip down to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, 22 to 32, reads as follows. And what a beautiful picture this is. I mean, it just don't get any better than this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself. 
a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. For he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. See, he's sanctifying you and cleansing you with the washing of water by the word. Jesus said in John 17, he said, Father, sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. He's preparing us for presentation day. He's going to present the church to himself. That's what it says. And when he presents the church to himself, he'll present them to himself as glorious and without spot and wrinkle. You say, yeah, 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 how's that going to happen? Well, I tell you, one big thing that is helping it is the fact that there's blood can we talk about the blood of Jesus? There, there's blood available to you that has flown out of the Son of God himself that can wash away every spot and every sin and every stain and cause you to be spotless in his sight. And glory to God. So therefore it is possible for you to be able to stand before him faultless because the, the means has been provided, the sacrifice has been made, the price has been paid, so that you can go ahead and be all the bride that he's looking for. Amen. Amen. And consider this. He's going to present to himself a glorious church. And as we wrap up today, this is the thought. That in the same way, the first Adam had the opportunity to see his wife come to him and say, whoa, man, otherwise known as woman, you know, you'll get that later. But in the same way that Adam had the opportunity to experience seeing his bride for the first time, Jesus, the last Adam, is going to have the opportunity to present to himself a glorious church. Amen. And knowing all that had to be done to restore her to glory. Because how was man created? Man was created and crowned with glory and honor. What happened along the way? Man sinned and fell short of the glory of God. So what had to happen? Jesus came to bring many sons again to glory. And now what ultimately happens? Is now restored to glory. He presents this bride to himself. A glorious church without any spot or wrinkle. Let me tell you, this is what church looks like to God. Praise him today. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's pray today. Father, we honor you and give you glory. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you, Lord, for speaking to our hearts and stirring us today. And Lord, we want to go and do what we've been stirred up to do. Do what we've been called to do. And be all that you've called us to be. To be your building to be your brethren, to be your body, to be your bride. In Jesus' name. If you're here today and you've been...